three, two, one. That's right. You're listening to the It's My Time podcast, a recording of the experiences, past and present of everyday people. Yes, indeed. And now, here's your host, the one, the only, Asher Chua. Hey, welcome to the podcast, RJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. And you came special requested by Mr. Jonathan Jones himself. <laughs> Which, you know, that's, uh, I got to live up to it because that's some big shoes. So, well, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> right. But one question I like to ask every guest just to introduce you to the audience and get to know you is who do you say you are? Um, I'm RJ Zimmerman. Uh, I'm 35 years old. I'm a lineman, so I work on high voltage electricity. Um, I'm a father of two boys who are four and two, and I'm an alcoholic. Cool. Well, I, I guess I, I didn't expect the last part, but that's being, why I leave it till the end. Right. right. <laughs> but knowing that that's your, that your podcast, that you're also a podcaster and your podcast focuses on sobriety. I like how you tie that, tie that in there, but, um, I'd like to kind of go back and just have you speak a little bit about what it is that you do and where you come from. Because at first, when you said alignment, I was like, Oh, I know what that is. But initially I pictured a football lineman, but then I was like, Oh no, no, no. He means electrical lineman. Yeah. And that's what everybody does. Right. So growing up, my dad, He's a lineman. He just retired last year. Mm-hmm. And I would tell people he's a lineman. And they're like, oh, what team does he play for? And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I know that those are linemen, but you would know if my dad was actually <laughs> playing professional football. So um, so I grew up in a small town uh, in Wisconsin, uh, right on Lake Michigan, mm-hmm. about 25 minutes from Green Bay. And... Uh, my dad stopped drinking when I was like seven or eight and he hasn't drank since. Mm. Um, so going through my twenties, I kind of had an idea that I was going to, I was more susceptible to alcohol being a challenge for me. And so right before I kind of shifted, I was going to a four year school, didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm realized, Hey, you know, I can raise the family being a lineman. So then I went to line school and, um, going through line school, I'm looking at my life. I'm looking at the people who I went to line school with looking at where I am. And at line school, you know, we had a a 46 year old, um, former entrepreneur that when 08 hit, he couldn't make his business go through it. Um, you know, a lot of kids fresh out of the military, a lot of kids fresh out of high school, and then a few people right around my age who seemed like they had their life together. And then there's me who didn't know what I was doing. I was just going basically by the winds of life. And uh, I realized that after I graduated, I need to make a big change. And so I stopped drinking right when I started to become a lineman, which was good because for those who don't know, Linemen are on call 24-7. If power goes out, they have to call somebody, and it's not firefighters, and it's not Ghostbusters, right? Yeah. So <laughs> um, so it, it really worked out, but I didn't call myself 
uh, an alcoholic until I was a year into the podcast. So two years ago, I started a podcast with my brother-in-law and we are both sober. I was six years sober. Now I'm eight years sober. He was four years, three years sober. Um, and same thing. So he's five, six years sober now. And really what it turned into was us evaluating our lives and how we could become better people. So we started incorporating a lot of mental health philosophies, but also it really made me look into my drinking in my past and um, why I drank the way that I drank and that I really am an alcoholic. And the first time I called myself an alcoholic out loud was on the podcast. I believe it was episode 50 or 49. Um, and you can hear my voice crack a little bit when I say it. And since then, I've really embraced um, that I'm an alcoholic, but that doesn't mean that I'm broken, that I um, struggle with my mental health from time to time. But again, that doesn't mean that I'm broken. Um, and really, like these past six, seven months, I've been working on my mindset. Um, I came to terms with the fact that my neutral was self-loathing. Everything bad that happened to me, I would internalize and say, yeah, you deserve it. Yeah, of course this is happening to you. Like you have done shitty things in the past. Like, yes, absolutely. You deserve all of this. And um, I started to fear that my children were going to be punished for me and that I would deserve that. And um, I realized that that's not healthy. That's not the way people look at me. It's not the way that people see me. And so, um, on the, especially on the podcast, like you can really tell where I was and then how far I've come. And it's kind of, it's been interesting from my own perspective, but then to hear people who've been there for the journey, like to hear their perspective too, it really shines a light. Wow. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful story. And I guess the first time you said it, I was curious to know if, in stating that you're an alcoholic is like, is that an identity you're okay aligning with? Or do you like, why do you state it in the way that you do? Because it's okay. It's okay that I'm an alcoholic. Like we take things and we put negative connotations on them. That doesn't, they aren't inherently negative, right. you know, such as anger, such as jealousy, like a lot of emotions, we kind of do the similar things. Alcoholic is one of them. And part of the reason that we put such negative things on is drinking is weaved into our society just so much, especially growing up in Wisconsin. For those who don't know, in Wisconsin, we pride ourselves on the ability to drink. Like we will drink you under the table and then we'll drink some more. Yeah. And <laughs> they released a study of uh, the 50 drunkest counties in the United States and 43 of them are in Wisconsin. Hmm. Oh, wow. And so it is, you can't do anything in Wisconsin without going into drinking. Yeah. And a lot of times, and this isn't a Wisconsin thing, this is around the world thing. Like if you tell people you don't drink because you're an alcoholic, if you tell people we keep don't drink because you just don't like who you are when you drink, mm-hmm. people get you like you're broken. Like there, there's something wrong with you as a person And really all it is, is I just can't um, control how much I drink. That's it. Gotcha. 
So I guess in saying that, do you, I guess, do you, how do you identify with the term alcoholic being, you no longer drink or alcoholic in the sense of you enjoy drinking and you're acknowledging the, the relationship you have with alcohol, so to speak? That's a very, that's a very interesting question. Um, and I like the way that you asked it for myself. When I say alcoholic, it's that I cannot have drinks and control the amount that I consume. Mm. They turn me into um, somebody that I'm not, right? They, they release the, the absolute like animalistic side of what I'm doing and all of my negativities come to the surface. So when I say I'm an alcoholic, it's, it's that I cannot control uh, the alcohol that enters my body. But I know everybody has their own definition of it as well. So, um, you know, I haven't drank in eight years, but I'm still an alcoholic. I, it, it's something that, and this is me personally, yeah. people have their own opinions, but I don't think I will ever um, be fully, you know, recovered. It's like, I will never be completely past this. It's a piece of who I am, but it's not all of who I am. Right. That, that's interesting. I, I like how you, you said that because I wanted to, I guess, clarify it and not ignore it to make a joke that popped into my head earlier because I was thinking I, I've only visited Wisconsin. Like I, I decided one, one summer over Memorial Day weekend to not Memorial Day, Labor Day weekend um, to drive around Lake Michigan, starting in Chicago, going up through Milwaukee, I think it's like Port Washington. Yeah. Um, I forget some of the other areas again. There's Sheboygan. And then I crossed like, over to Green Bay, went up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, went up to um, Lake Erie, I think at the Pictured Rocks. But just seeing that, um, I think, like you said, big things Wisconsin's known for is cheese and alcohol. And then yep. spending almost a year, year and a half in Louisiana, specifically in Lake Charles and Donaldsonville between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, um, just knowing like how prevalent alcohol is in that, like they have drive through daiquiris in, in uh, Louisiana all throughout the state, just seeing how prevalent it is there and just it being the complete opposite on the north in, um, in Wisconsin. It's like, huh, it's interesting, but also that's alcohol is something that's prevalent in just American culture, so to speak. Like we have commercials about it during the Super Bowl, during any game. And I think someone got, I think it's Tom Brady, maybe he got in trouble for whatever that means, like a slap on the hand or a fine for telling the fans like, oh, make sure that you guys get get loaded or or get drunk uh. to come, <laughs> come out to the game and yeah. just like have fun. And people were like, you can't say that. And it's like, well, he's not lying. So it's like, I, I think I, I said a lot of that to say, I like that you not only define what being an alcoholic means to you, because you know, the state it puts you in, but also knowing that, like, it's not something you return to, but you you understand what it is that you can become if you consume and making the distinction between what you don't want to be and what you are, so to speak, if if you choose to indulge that, I think I, I like how you how you chose to present it because 
it's up to me or it's up to the audience to decide how you respond to something. If you choose to be offended, you can be offended. If you choose to be curious and learn more, you can be like, huh, tell me more about that. (laughs) What does that exactly mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I like how you said that choosing to be curious, because that's something that I have really embraced. Like I said, in like the past seven, eight months where I've been shifting my mindset from self-loathing to just being okay. Right. That doesn't mean that I don't fall back into self-loathing from time to time. And what I mean by that is hating myself. Yeah. Right. Like I, I was sitting there thinking about my boys um, and the way that they look at me and the way that, you know, they yell daddy and they want to be around me. And I started to realize that I started to, I wouldn't say hold it against them, but Mm -hmm. Um, wonder why would they do that? Don't they know how much of a POS I am? It's like, okay, I need to change the way that I'm thinking because am I calling them a liar? Like, am I calling all my friends that like me, you know, for a reason that I don't understand, but am I calling them liars? Like there's a lot of people who have um come into my life and stuck around. Like, what am I telling those people? Yeah. And then it it just, it dawned on me. Like I'm looking at life through a lens of hating myself and that stinks. That's not cool. That's not, that's not fun. How do you have fun for not, you know, thinking that you're not just not a good person, but you just deserve everything that's bad. That's happening. Yeah. And also, like you said, to the point of distinct, making the distinction of um, being an alcoholic is that um, why would you be willing to carry a certain image of yourself that's different from what the people around you show you? Because I, I think I've been on a similar journey or a similar track of really building a better relationship with myself and learning to appreciate things about me for mm-hmm. myself by myself that other people also appreciate. But learning how to do that in a healthy way and not be as self-loathing. It's like even in the times that you might feel like, oh man, like they they don't know. They don't know what I can really be. It's like, okay, maybe they don't know. Like and maybe I should let go of that need to prove that. Let me show you how bad and terrible I can be. And just like, what what's that process been like for you of changing your mentality about how you see yourself? It's been scary, mm-hmm. right? Because growing up, what I learned, I don't necessarily know it was taught, but it was, it was brought up to the forefront was that being selfish and being arrogant were some of the worst things you could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you stop hating yourself and you stop the self-loathing, it can feel like selfishness. It can feel like arrogance. Mm-hmm. Uh, accepting compliments instead of saying, oh, no, like, you know, not that. Like, no, no, that was no big deal. Like, uh, yeah, it was harder than you kind of think about but like actually gen and being genuine and accepting it from somebody else. And then just saying, thank you. I really do appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't, the first few times it does not feel, it doesn't feel good. Mm. It, it, it feels awkward. I think that's the best way to put it is it is awkward. Um, one thing that I've 
let people know. And I've tried to make adamant, like you don't go from, Oh, I hate the person I'm looking at in the mirror too. I love you. You're such a great person. Like, no, yeah. I'm not. Yet. <laughs> right. I don't know if I'll ever get there, but I can look in the mirror and I could say, you're all right. Let's go out and try to do our best today. And that's it. And if I start from there, that's better than looking in the mirror and being like, God, you wasted so much potential. You, you know, you should have a better job. How can you not afford to own a house right now? How can you do, you know, be working a job that you hate? Like how can you be doing all of this when you had so much potential in your high school years? And it's like, or even college years that I drank away, like Mm -hmm. all of that. But I can't change the years that I don't remember. Right. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a fog. All I can do is put one foot in front of the other one day at a time, try to be better today than I was yesterday Mm. and go from there. Yeah. I, I like what you said about just, just that exercise, because for me, I, I took time to work through counseling and actually work through like working on myself, wanting to become better. And one of the tasks that I was given was to do mirror work, looking at myself literally in the mirror or Anytime I catch a glimpse of my reflection or using my phone camera for the selfie feature and saying like, I like you, I love, like I saying to myself, I love you. And it, it felt just like cringe, ultimate, like, Ooh, I just, I just felt so uncomfortable, but then like doing that and forcing myself to do that on a daily basis, like I would literally look, kind of look in the mirror or even when I'm driving, like I can see my rear view mirror up there. And I can, if I look over enough, I just catch my right eye in the reflection. And I was like, you know, this works. I like you. you. You're okay today. And before we even had our conversation, I just went outside and stretched. And I was like, man, it's nice and sunny out today. I was like, this feels good. Like This is going to be a great conversation. And just from practicing doing that over 2021, taking a break and kind of being self-loathing from like end of December, start of January. And like this year, it's been, it's been kind of that, that challenge, but it's like getting out of that, that self-loathing period is not easy, especially if you have, if you have that background of you don't want to be selfish, being selfish is the worst thing you can be, but also like Having to unlearn a lot of things is um, it's interesting because when you're able to remember things, at least this has been my experience, I'd like to know yours, being able to unlearn things or revisit things as an adult that you heard or learned as a child, what what's that been like for you being able to distinguish that like one thing said doesn't mean that's the scenario at all times. It's not always just black and white. You're good or bad if you're selfish. It's, it's like, oh no, you you need to be selfish for you as well as you can be selfish to care for someone else, or you can be selfless, but it's, you don't all, you're not always selfish and you're not always selfless. Like you need a bit of the both. And then if you just don't want to use a term or whatnot, you can just mind your own business and just be like, eh, I'm just going to do I'm not going to think about what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to put down the burden of having to be this or that, or just have a clear intellectually thought proposal or thesis to just be like, Hey guys, I got the answer. It's like, nah, I'm just going to just breathe. I love that. I like how 
you know, you allow yourself to breathe. You allow yourself every once in a while to, you know what, let's just see what comes up today. Cause that's, I don't think we understand how we need that some from time to time. Um, so, you know, your question about unlearning and then relearning, like really the past two years as men, I mean, it's really been over the, a year that it's really come out about emotions. And as we're raised and we're told, at least I was told, and a lot of people I've talked to similar, like, like certain things, emotions. No, you can show anger. That's about it. Like if you're happy, you can only show it to a certain point. Otherwise you're rubbing it in people's faces. Right. Mm. And then you have to be just stoic, just nothing bothers you. Nothing. You, you can hold all of the weight by yourself. You have to learn to be independent to a fault. And so going through really the first, you know, 34 years of my life and it's really 35 cause I'm coming up on my 36th birthday, but um, you know, 35 years of trying to live up to that standard, having no balance, finding no harmony. Like what, what am I supposed to do? You know, as a lineman, you make, you make a good living, but there's not a lot of work-life balance. Cause like I said, you're on call 24 seven. Um, so unlearning that that is, you know, what it is to be a quote unquote man, mm-hmm. um, trying to learn how your emotions can help accentuate your life that it's not weak to feel or show emotions. Um, there's a strength in that because when you push it away, you're not pushing it away. You're pushing it down and you're just stacking it on top of one another until it comes out as a big release. And either that's, you know, a month or two of, depression like and i'm not just talking like sadness and in a rut like depression i'm talking like crying not knowing what to do you know you're not in a good headspace kind of a thing or it's you know there were times for me where um i couldn't focus to the point of i couldn't do simple tasks at my job that um that i learned for years previous, like that I have done hundreds of times. I couldn't do them. So learning my emotions, learning what they mean so that I can put them into context with myself. And then honestly, learning who I am, what I like, what, um, you know, what is something that I put on for show and what's something that I actually enjoy doing. Um, a lot of the time, you know, I was going through life, just people would tell me, oh, you need to, you should like this because you're a dude. Like, mm-hmm. but did I really like it? Like hunting, fishing, that kind of thing. Like I never did it. And I mean, I fished a few times and it's fine hanging out with the guys, but I'm not the biggest fan of it. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I love playing basketball and baseball Football was, I enjoy watching it and I enjoy the strategy of it, but I'm not the biggest, I didn't love playing it in high school. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm wearing a pink polo with flowers on it. I like this. Like, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with liking to wear pink or, you know, the flowers or be kind of 
um, you know, colorful in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm a nerd. I enjoy comic books. I enjoy, you know, I got a Ghostbusters poster hanging behind me. Like I love Ghostbusters. I got my kids into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like um, I play video games with my kids and myself and like a lot of this stuff that I kind of hid because I was a blue collar worker because mm. I was a man, I wasn't supposed to, you know, do that, like that, that kind of thing. It's like, why am I hiding this piece of myself Yeah, trying to impress? Like, and then it just, when you hide it, you feel shame around it. So these things that you enjoy doing, you feel shame and it just, it's, it's really unhealthy and you don't even know that you're doing it sometimes. It's a great point. And something you, you said there, kind of coming back to the, the blue collar work, because I, I think that's one of the things I've enjoyed about life, at least my life and experience kind of going through college, having a chance to do like a co-op semester on semester off, like going to school and then going to work with guys that are in the trades. We did technical work, working with guys in construction. It It's always... It's interesting how so many things get suppressed at times, but it's nice having a a different viewpoint from it because I don't know if it's the same on and being alignment because I guess with being alignment, do you work alone or do you work on teams like usually where you you have at least one other person to work with? Um, Generally, you're going to work with a crew of four or more people. Um, but like, if you're, let's say you're troubleshooting, you're probably going to be doing that alone. Um, you're going to try to make things safe and Mm -hmm. then call it to finish the work. So there's a little bit of both depending on what you're doing. Gotcha. I guess the reason I I brought that up is because usually in, in the blue collar jobs, so to speak, where you work with a group of guys, there's always a, a, um, the technical term I think is ball busting or I've, I've heard it where it's like usually there's a sense of camaraderie where um, in order to fit into the group, like you'll get made fun of. And it's like, part of it is you really got to be able to, to dish it, or you got to be able to, to take it and be willing to kind of go with the group. And it, it kind of helps build that sense of oneness. But at the same time, I guess you have insecurities that are built in as many um young men usually have insecurities built about them. It might come from playing sports or just hanging out with the guys where it's like, okay, you do this, you don't do this. And like, oh, you might be a nerd. Like some people it's like with the internet, it feels like people are becoming more open because they can share their experiences across, not just being in their neighborhood and their background, but like even for myself, I I saw that I got into podcasting or I, I, got into being a little bit more creative and expressive and doing a podcast because I joined groups outside of work, like one group for public speaking to want to become more than just the typical engineer where they're just like, Oh, like what you're an engineer. It's like that getting that feedback feels a lot better than being like, Oh yeah, I expected you'd be a square. I bet you like this music. I bet you you do this <laughs> on the weekend. You go over here and you do that. And it's like being able to do some of those things that are uh, un- uncommon have really kind of opened things up. And 
I think maybe something to come back to would be the the pandemic times, so to speak, the 2020s through now 2022 and seeing like what what was that experience like for you and and what really challenged you to work on your mindset? For me, um a lot didn't change to be honest. Um because the lights still have to be kept on. Mm. Um, work still has to get done. There, You can't be alignment and work remotely. So um, for a lot of guys at the job, they got to bring their trucks home. And like that was the big change was they could start from their house mm. and end the day at their house. And that like that made the day feel like it went quicker. But for me, like I was running a crew at the time and we were a large project crew. So we would have our job site move around. And so we all, we still went to the job site. Um, for a while, we had to meet in the truck till we kind of understood how COVID spread. And then like we could meet in our trailer, but um, you know, we had to have proper ventilation and everything. So like work was work. Um, the home life was, it was a lot of the same because the thing that changed was I would come home and instead of being able to hug my kids, I would go down the basement, change my clothes, go shower, and then I'd be able to come out and interact. Um, but it was, you know, uh, my extracurriculars were taken. So like I would play softball with the guys. I would um, really just like hang out on the weekends uh, with a few people, but we couldn't do that because yeah. you had to isolate. You had to kind of stay to yourself in order to help, you know, stop that spread. So, um, oh, restaurants. We used to go to restaurants all the time, try new restaurants and stuff. Mm. And that's kind of where it changed. So, like, it was more like staying at home, uh, trying to do things with my kids. I distracted myself through them. I had the podcast on the weekends. Um, so, really, like, looking into myself was the podcast was my hobby. It went from like, you know, having sports and being able to go to restaurants to the podcast and talking with people who had different experiences than me, talking to people who um, were smarter than me and hearing different perspectives on just how your emotions um, play a part in your life. And the connections that I made on the podcast, like doing interviews and just hearing different parts of people's lives that you don't realize. It really helped me to look into first off my relationship with my sobriety. Um, because really I wouldn't say I was going through the motions, but all I really did was stay away from alcohol. And like, that was kind of it. Um, I didn't look into why I drank the way that I drank. I didn't look into honestly, like the cause of the symptom, which was me drinking to the point of being blacked out. Um, so in doing all of that, that really started to focus my mind, my mindset. And I got diagnosed with ADHD. So getting medicated for that helped too. Um, so there, there were a lot of factors, but you know, in the past year I moved from Wisconsin to Virginia. And the reason for that is, um, we needed some diversity in culture and diversity in people, you know, Wisconsin's 88% white, 85% white. Um, 
and it's very segregated and there's a lot of unconscious biases that lead to a lot of, um, uh, frankly, a lot of racism. Um, and so my kids are half black and we needed to move to a different environment to be able to raise them in a healthy way. Um, so moving from Wisconsin and kind of, I honestly felt like I wanted to leave this, the piece of me behind that like hid like the nerd of myself and just kind of like embrace enjoying little things in life, things that you think are, are basic, right? Like, you know, the, the sunrises and sunsets, like walking on the beach, the, um, smells of freshly cut grass, stuff like that, that is cliche. Right. And it's like, it's hippie, but I wanted to change that. And then that really snowballed into, um, kind of the mindset shifts that I've had now. I like that. The, just got to let that breathe for a minute. It's, it's interesting because I had heard something similar with, um, a friend of mine being in, in Minnesota. And I guess whenever people think about a racism or segregation, they usually associate it with the South. I, I live in Georgia and it's, I think I heard a comedian say it once where he was like, um, it's kind of, it's, <laughs> I guess what you get in the South is kind of nice because it's out in the open up North. It might be more <laughs> behind closed doors or it's kind of like hush hush. But, um, I like the, you, I like that you shared the experience of to where you were and what, what had to change and just dealing with the different circumstances and being able to acknowledge that like as things went away, something needed to kind of come into its place to replace it. And as you, you said something that really struck me when you said you had to deal with your sobriety, like actually addressing what it was about you not drinking instead of just saying, I'm not going to drink. It's like, actually trying to understand what drinking did for you or why you had a drink to the point to where it was blackout. Like, was that similar to the process of self-loathing and kind of trying to unpack that and understand like, okay, like I can either be happy or I can be self-loathing, but maybe I should figure out how I get from A to B and not try to just live in A and avoid B? Um, I mean, to be honest, it's all connected, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, trying to hide pieces of myself too, to not just fit in, but that you feel like you have to, because that's what, that's what we're told we should be. Mm-hmm. Um, that really like, being a chameleon for most of my life, like people pleaser trying to, um, you know, really just straight up fit in mm-hmm. wherever, because, um, I didn't get the, um, the value of just being myself, um, from others. So I tried to force the validation and, um, it really was like, it was a similar process of trying to figure out why did I drink till I got blacked out every single time? Like, what was it that I was getting out of that? Part of it was shutting my mind down. Um, part of it was 
feeling like everybody liked me. Like there was a there was a point where I got where I was when I was drunk that it was like I was the life of the party. And I think a lot of people would say that I was that I was fun to drink around. I like I've made it my mission a lot of time to make sure everybody was having fun, having a good time. Um, and if somebody wasn't for whatever reason, I sometimes I took that personally because I felt like I needed to make it better. Um, so looking into like what in my childhood being brought up kind of, uh, caused me to search this out. Um, what in my childhood made me feel like I was never good enough and why, um, you know, why would I hate myself? Um, a lot of it too, with being a man and like trying to come up with your emotions, like you spend so much of your life you know, smoothing out the stone that's put in front of you, that face that you put out, um, that people think that transitions are easy for you, like going to college, like a new job, like a, a move across the country, like, you know, a lot of different aspects. And it's, it's not necessarily easy for us, but we feel like we can't talk to anybody and we're supposed to put this face out there that it is easy. So all of a sudden when you're struggling, People don't want to hear it. And when people hear it, they think that you're looking for self-pity. Or complaining. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. Or you're being dramatic. Or, you know, why are you so emotional? And people, they'll crack open the door like, oh, I want to know how you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I'll start talking about how I'm doing. Oh, not that much. What? Why do you think you can, you know, (laughs) lay that on me? (laughs) And you have enough of that. And it's like... You just don't want to anymore because it's the pain. Um, so looking into my sobriety, it led me to identify the self-loathing, but mm-hmm. there was a process in getting there. It was a process in why did I drink the way that I drank? And I, I went through therapy. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of surface level therapy. Um, it was more like what was happening at the time. It was more talking about my ADHD Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more talking about the deterioration of the relationship between me and my parents. But, you know, there's a lot that goes into all of those things. And really just focusing on like the big surface level things, you don't really notice the the duck's legs underneath the pond that are kicking so hard. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes we need to look at ourselves and just be like, it's okay it's okay to struggle. It's okay to be kicking so hard. A lot of people that we look up to look like the duck on the pond. And we forget that underneath everybody's feet are just kicking away. Oh, that's a good analogy. And just a little duck on the pond with his feet kicking. Yeah. I guess in, in starting your podcast and being able to continue podcasting while you're going through the different transitions and asking yourself the questions, has it given you a sense of um, refuge, so to speak, or maybe has it helped you find a community in working with the co-host or just being able to, to have the conversations you haven't been able to have for 30 plus years prior? Yeah. It has become my catalyst for change. And with that, like a sense of therapy, 
Um, especially when you talk to people like we've talked to life coaches, I've talked to therapists, I've talked to um, authors, like pe- people who they study alcoholism, you know, substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, they study like the, the um, relationship between your mental health and substance use. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it's really, it really has become my therapy each week because I get to talk about things that maybe I wouldn't necessarily be open about, open with, with everybody, the nearest to me in life. And, um, it just lets me sometimes when I'm talking through things, um, I don't even re I'm making connections in real time that I didn't even think about before. But as we say things out loud, uh, sometimes our brain is making these connections and it's like, wait a second. Whoa, what's that? That's weird. That actually makes some sense. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I've heard, um, counselors or one, uh, clinical psychologist in particular talk about when I think that the thing that made it so practical, it's like, whenever you speak to a counselor, even you're speaking to a stranger at the beauty of it is always that they say a, a good psychologist, therapist, counselor, whichever title you may place on it, a good listener is usually someone that allows you to self explain and self express because usually the answer that you seek is within yourself and it usually comes from you. Because if someone else is giving you delegation to say, you need to be doing this. You can always put it back on the person and be like, well, this didn't work out because so-and-so said. And it's like, if it's always someone else's fault, it's never yours to own up with. But being able to have that accountability or just be being allowed to share things that you may not have felt comfortable to share before, it kind of gives some reassurance to let you know it's like okay i i am gonna be okay like i don't have to solve world hunger today but i can make my bed and that can be enough for just this moment in time instead of it always having to be high stakes high rewards and it may look good on movies but too many times i i think back to what it was that we're taught as young men or we're taught in the spaces and i, I think It might be a different conversation, but I think it's good to distinguish between what's taught and what should be learned because a lot of times there could be something wrong with the teaching if everyone's being taught the same thing and everyone's getting the same outcomes and those outcomes aren't proving to work effectively over time. But growing up and being able to self-reflect and trying to understand what we can learn and not be resentful, bitter, angry, and just like one track mind as to I'm going to get this person back for getting me or for doing this. It's like, I think it's really helpful just having that that dialogue, that, that therapy or that practice, like you said, on the regular, because it allows you to let go of the things that you might be holding on to and really deal with and address some of the things you could be avoiding. Yeah, absolutely. It lifts the rock, you know, lifts that rug. What's underneath here? And you yeah. just see everything scattered. Oh, there's self-loathing. Oh, there's that, you know, the the judgmental, like, why am I judging everything? And 
yeah, I mean, we really do need to look at what's taught because for generations, same things have been taught. And where are we at right now? Uh, we're at a lot of the same problems that have been happening for a very long time. So, you know, for example, with my kids, like I said, they're both boys. They like pink. Pink is one of their favorite colors. So I let them wear pink. And I've had people, well, aren't they a boy? Why are they wearing pink? Because they're a person and they like the color. Who cares? Who am I mm-hmm. to tell them, no, you're not allowed to wear that? Yeah. Like, we picked out sunglasses. And my youngest loves Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. So he picked out Minnie Mouse sunglasses. Okay, that's what you want. Yeah. We go pick out toothbrushes. My oldest loves Paw Patrol. So he wanted Sky. Okay, you can have Sky for a toothbrush. Like, when I was younger, I know it would have been, no, you got to pick one of the boys. You know, you got to pick one of the boy things. Why? Yeah. Like, why are we telling them what they can like and what they can't like? If it's not hurting anybody, if it's, and it's not hurting themselves, why are we doing that? Why are we stepping in? Yeah. I think I heard something said kind of to that point where um, coming from the same person, he he said it was his son, his younger son playing with his older daughter and and her friends. And they were kind of dressing his son up in with makeup or ladies clothes. And it's like he thought to like intervene in the play and something he kind of had to ask himself was like, okay, why is this bothering me? Or like, because a lot of things that we intervene with, it's usually we see it as like a reflection of ourselves. And I, I can see why in a similar sense, like I, I may be tempted to say, okay, like if I see someone doing something that seems a little bit off, I would be like, don't do that because it's, it could be looked in as taboo or different, just different things that people are experiencing or expressing present day. It's like something can go really left or just like in like off track, so to speak. And I, I guess I don't, I guess it's weird for me because I, I don't have kids. Like I've had nieces and nephews or like family friends that have kids and you try to be a good example, but it, it is interesting to really um, be able to self-reflect and try not so much to place your pre- precognitions on someone, someone else, especially someone younger, because it's like, hey, I messed up. I didn't figure things out. So I'm just going to make sure I steer you in the right way and make sure you don't, don't, don't fall off. Don't get hurt. Don't wear this. Don't get that. I, I don't want anybody to perceive you in the way that they don't perceive you, because if they do, then they're going to start bullying you. If you start bullied, you're going to have a hard upbringing. Then you're going to judge me and be like, oh, my parents, they didn't love me. They didn't. It's like... <laughs> Some people maybe take it into that much detail or some people just kind of try to nip things in the butt that they don't like. And in trying to understand why, um, I'm learning to kind of let go of that and not have to have an answer for why everyone does the things that they do, but learning to appreciate, like you said, things that I like. And knowing that someone else can like something different, but that shouldn't have a direct effect on me. But in the sense that it does address it and don't be like, eh, I'm not going to worry about it. And then it, it's, it reminds me of this, this statement that says in, um, in building effective relationships, conflict delayed is conflict multiplied. So in people addressing things that they don't like, 
I guess maybe it could be a way of just like seeing something conflicting. They're like, I'm going to deal with it. But then you also have the chance to say, okay, well, you don't like this, but this is me pushing back on yours. And you don't have to come to blows with it, but it's okay to have those interactions where it's good to disagree. Like you're your person, I'm my person. And it, it doesn't need to be the, um, it doesn't need to be the just always be stoic, always just push things down that you don't like because you push that down enough, it all comes out or it all implodes and it turns into heart disease like a lot of men have. And then that's like, oh, like where are all the men going? They're over there being <laughs> strong and dead. And that's not a good thing. And, you know, when it comes to emotions too, boy, it's easier to push them down than to feel them. Like it, it, it is, it, it's hard to allow your emotions to be there, not act on them, but think about why am I feeling this way? Um, what you said about the mirror, dude, like that's, that is what kids do. They hold the mirror up to you and they're like, here are your flaws. I have them in spades. So deal with it. How are you going to deal with yourself? Cause it is, yes, it is the ultimate mirror. And um, one thing with sobriety that you do is you hold a mirror up to people and you don't do it on purpose, mm. but I would say 99% of the time somebody asks you what you'd like to drink and you say, oh, I don't drink. I'll just take like a soda or they'll ask you, are you sure you don't want something? It's not a big deal if you have something. You say, no, I've been, I've been sober for eight years they will always come back with uh oh i don't drink that often i usually just on the weekends sometimes or like when i'm together with uh socially with with other people i'll drink it's like okay i didn't i didn't ask you about that but like for some reason when we say we don't drink like that's their first response just about every single time yeah. so and i've had people do it every single time they ask me too like they'll forget that i don't drink and then they'll just they always oh yeah i forgot about that yeah i I don't drink very. It's like, okay, but I never said you had a right. problem. I said that I do, so I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's so, and yeah. It's funny because it it's it's all in a matter of how you take it because it's like something that you feel for you, someone can inter internalize that for themselves and be like, maybe I should be doing that, or like how is are they judging me? Is it like, oh, like friends don't let friends drink alone or or some something like that. It's it's, I guess it's to each person, to each his own. You have to, if you like to have a drink, enjoy it. If mm -hmm. you can handle it and like, don't, don't be made to feel in a way that, oh, like this person's ruining the party or it's like, oh, you're being weird. Okay. We got it. We're going to ask you to leave. Like you're not you're kind of throwing off the vibe here. Like this isn't a sobriety party, like get out of here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that is interesting that you, you, you bring that up because it's, it's, it's interesting because like, I have wondered in the past, not on sobriety per se, but looking at how people behave, like when coming into a new work environment, there is a sense of, there can be a sense of imposter syndrome where you feel like you don't belong. Like that's, that's what it was for me. First job out of college getting around other people that are like, oh, wow, like you're around other people that graduated from top colleges. You're working for a big, um, I think they call it like Fortune 500 company, like 
top construction company and people mm-hmm. have done their research. They're like, they already have a plan as to what they're going to do, how they're going to execute the next six months, two years of their life. And it's like, wow, okay, maybe I, I need to get my stuff together because I, I was just happy to be in the door, but everybody is ready to go. And I'm kind of behind the eight ball here. I thought it was a good thing graduating, having a job, but it's like, there's a little bit more. So it's like, on the one hand, there's that intimidation factor, but then on the other hand, there's that challenge of adventure that you can pursue and be like, okay, hey, let's go to this place. Like somebody's across the world the next day. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that, but maybe I don't have to, but okay. There's a trip two States across, like, let's go, let's go check out um, Mardi Gras. And it's like, yep, that, that's not my scene. It's like, next time you come calling, I'm okay. I'm just going to say no. And then when I see pictures on online, I just, I'm going to have to be okay. Not feeling bad because I've got to distinguish this is them. And this is me. We can still be friends, but we don't, I don't have to pretend to, want something that I don't really want. But it all goes back to what you said, like having the conversation of like, why do I want this? Why do I envy that? Or why do I maybe not want to acknowledge that I I actually do like this color? I like this. And like, I heard someone say that he was pick. He went to the store, either went to the store or like a garden, and started picking a different arrangement of flowers. And all the women were just like, "Oh, are you picking those for your wife? Those look great." He's like, "No, I'm I'm getting these for me because I, I've come to understand that there's something about them that I can appreciate. There's something that I can like, and I'm gonna do something for myself for a change and." not not be offended by the judgment that other people may have in their mind and in turn try to place on me. It's like, no, nah, it's not for my wife, it's for me. It's like, okay, that's there's some kind of freedom in that, just not feeling a need to carry the weight other people might place on you. Absolutely. It's one thing that I've noticed where like the weight is lifted off of me is not internalizing negative things people say about me. And it may not be negative. It might just be like a criticism, right? And just thinking, okay, what in that is true? What can I take out of that and make myself better? You know, it's not necessarily... Sometimes people say things to dig at you. Sometimes people say things to um, hurt you. But did they say something that was meant to hurt me? Or did they say something that was meant to make me better? And they, I just didn't like the way they said it. So like differentiating those two things, like I have been, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, I have, I have been attacked like in my relationship and it's like, okay, this I used to, I would have taken it and just like moped and like felt terrible, Mm -hmm. but now I can look and I can see this isn't about me. This is your emotions that are coming at me and that doesn't make it right, but it's okay that I don't have to sit and think on this one. And then there's, you know, other times like, um, my kid, my oldest saying you're mean and I'm mean because I have to get him out the door to go to school. So you can put your shoes on. We can't play anymore. And like, that's the most mean I am is you get a timeout. I'm like, you don't know what mean is. If you want to see mean, I'll start being the mean parent and hearing are you reacting to a three-year-old that way because you're jealous of the life you're giving them? 
Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think with that one Ooh. because it was true. It was true. Yeah. I was jealous of the emotional stability I was giving my kids. I was jealous of the way that I was parenting. And that has allowed me to be a more patient parent and not take the things that a four-year-old or a three or four-year-old says like as an attack at me because they are not. They don't know what they're doing. Right. (laughs) They throw everything against the wall and see what sticks and understanding that. It's hilarious what you said about like interacting with the three-year-old because it's like (laughs) before I thought, I've thought to myself, it's, I've been maybe complimented about being patient or being that poised type person. And it's like, in asking for things or praying, I like said, oh, like, help me be more patient. And it's, it's weird when you get an opportunity to be patient, and then you don't recognize what it is. But trying to communicate with a three-year-old will kind of uh, help you identify how patient you can really be. Because (laughs) it's like, oh, wait, this isn't a grown adult. This is a child that's just being a child. And I'm I'm taking like years and years of my experience and something and trying to relate it to them in a way mm-hmm. that now we're having a sparring match. And it's like, what am I doing? Like, did I just throw a, a fit versus a child throwing their fit? And it's like, I think recently I, I had an experience like that a few months ago and, and an adult called it out and it's like, oh, there's just two boys having a fit. And I'm sitting here like I'm a 30 year old having a fit with a three year old and this person's just pointing it out. And it just it just ate me up a little bit inside because I was like, they're right. I don't like like how they said it. But at the end of the day, yeah, they're right. I threw a fit and I was like, I I started to internalize it like, okay, how do I avoid throwing fits now? I don't want to be I don't want to be. It's like, no, like sometimes you you're not yourself. And when you take a minute to recognize uh, I wasn't being myself, it doesn't mean I need to go back and change that. Maybe I can modify my behavior in the future to not act in the same way, but that scenario is going to come back again because like five minutes go by or the night goes by and the three-year-old wakes up and she's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, I'm sitting here still thinking about what this three-year-old said to me yesterday and they completely forgot it. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe I should be more like the child and learn to let things go. And it's hard. It's hard to differentiate the two. Um, You know, what's something that I could actively implement and make myself better? And what's something that I just need to let it go because there's not really anything I can do from this point other than just like, be more patient or realize like if I can't regulate my emotions as an adult, how can I expect a three or four year old to regulate their emotions as a child Mm. who don't have any point of reference to what any of this is. So I'll tell you the one thing in life that will teach you patience more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I'm going through it right now. And let me tell you, it's a big struggle bus and I'm the driver potty training it is the most frustrating I've ever been in my entire life, ever. And the older one, it was a massive frustration. And we've heard boys are harder to potty train than girls. But a lot of times the first one is the hardest. And then after that, the second one's not so bad. 
but they're both equally terrible. They are, they have my stubbornness. They just, oh, they have my emotional dysregulation <laughs> of a kid. You know, they have my energy, my, uh, you, you can see one of them probably has ADHD. The other one may not, but like, and I know that's putting a lot on a kid and I'm not yeah. getting them diagnosed now or anything, but like, I kind of have an idea what to watch out for and some things that we can do to, um, turn it more into a strength mm-hmm. uh, rather than just let the symptoms just pile up to a point where it becomes a big problem. But yeah. like this potty training, dude, it's just like my youngest got mad. This isn't the first time he did it mm-hmm. and looked me in the eye and peed on the floor again, <laughs> less than two minutes from the time that we were sitting on the potty. And it's because I wouldn't give him a snack. And it's just like in that moment, you take a deep breath. We're getting a timeout. I don't care what you say. We're getting a timeout and I will clean this up. Yeah. It's just like, oh my goodness. Like, how do you not lose it? But like at this point, it's not like he does it. He does it on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. But he doesn't realize how uh, much of a, an inconvenience it is for the rest of us. <laughs> I'm just going to pee over here on the floor. You clean it up. It's like, see how you like it when you don't get a snack. That's right. And he didn't get a snack and he didn't like it, but, and it's tough because he's my baby. Yeah. And I know with both my boys, like one time I'm going to pick them up and it's going to be the last time, mm. but I don't know when that's going to be. So I have that on top of my mind every single time they ask to be picked up. And no matter what, I pick them up. And um, they're big. Like So my four-year-old is 46 pounds and my three-year-old is 38. So they're getting, they're getting heavy. Yeah. <laughs> when you said that, I was like, huh, hadn't thought about that. And now it, it's, it's weird growing up and being the age that your parents were when you were born or right around that age. And Mm -hmm. it's like wheels kind of start to turn. And before it was like, I don't know if I could do what you did. And I'm like, am I being selfish or arrogant in a way to be humble, to be like, okay, hey, I'm going to praise my parents and be like, oh, they were amazing. But I couldn't do that. So I'm not even going to try. And it's like, is that a how dare you moment or just a humility moment? But to say, like, have a little bit of courage and yeah, take the time to get to know yourself, but don't paralyze yourself with the information you find out when you take a look in the mirror or you have the little one looking at you and being like, yeah, you don't have to go to the extreme of running away from being a parent or just being like, oh, I'm just going to be alone in a corner or in a hole and just be like, I don't want the world to see what I'm dealing with. It's like, yeah, you, you can, you can deal with yourself, but at the same time, you don't have to always deal. You don't always have to always process. You don't have to be in like figuring it out mode. Like guys are logical or we're always trying to have solutions and resolutions, but it's hard when you come across something you can't solve, like a relationship or a child or something that's like out of your control. It's like, oh, that's not you. Like, 
here's something, figure this out. But it's like, oh, like maybe you don't need to figure it out in the way that you would have gone before. And something I, I thought to ask you as you brought it up, being able to speak things out loud and process them, do you find it easier to do that versus like trying to write out your thought process as to like what you're trying to unpack? Do you find one way easier or harder, whether it's writing or just speaking and recording it to maybe hear it back? Uh, for me, it's for sure speaking. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of writing down things. Um, it just, for me and my disposition, it just, it, it it's a, almost a burden at a point. And I think that if I did it more, I wouldn't feel that way, but it's just the speaking it out and hearing it back. That to me is more efficient uh, for myself and my thought process and the way that my brain works. Um, I've gotten better at writing things down, but it's still, I, I still, if somebody would tell me to get a journal, mm -hmm. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to do it. Right. right. <laughs> so, so for sure for me, and I know a lot of people who journal, uh, in, you know, sobriety, mental health, all of it, like, and it works. Um, yeah. you know, one of my good friends, he suggests a double journal. So you journal in the morning and then if you feel like, uh, you know, some big stress, some big emotions, you journal again. And, um, I'm like, nope, not gonna happen. But I do spend a lot of time self-reflecting and um talking things out and then like the podcast and then every morning actually i record like a one to two minute video that i post on a social media under untapped keg um and it's kind of like my a journal but it's like my journey too mm -hmm. of finding my emotions finding myself what's going through my mind right now and just um, kind of letting people in on who I am as a person too. Gotcha. And the reason I ask that is because I have a different, um, I have a different process. Maybe sometimes I find it easier to write things down because I feel like at the end of the day, I can always hide it away, but there's that nagging thought in the back of my mind that could be irrational, but it's like, hope nobody finds this, <laughs> but, and it's, it's like, it's interesting seeing things like social media or just being able to record something and be like, if I record this and I put it out, like, what's the re repercussion, like trying to keep things that are private, private, but also trying to address things in a way that it gets down to the root of the issue. And it, it starts to help you actually deal with things and not like, uh, like, I don't know if I can really talk to someone about this, right? I don't know if I want that. And it's like going back to putting on that mask of like, I want to be well, but clearly there's something affecting my wellness. And if I don't have a way of speaking it out or recording it, like then the problem just continues to fester. Because on the one hand, it's like there could be the legitimate fear of like, oh, what if someone gets this and goes with it? But like, and even getting the courage to record myself driving and never having to go back and listen to it, like just getting that out and not putting time limits or constraints or even using a tool to journal, to review my past or to 
set a goal and question the goal from different angles, it's like, okay, that, that works, but letting go of the need of like, this has to happen, this, 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 it's like, okay, maybe this month I'll journal next month. If I don't journal, just leave it. But like just having that ability to acknowledge what's going on and address it versus thinking this has to be acknowledged in this specific way. If I can't acknowledge it in that way, I'm not going to touch it. It's like there's a sense of um, freedom in that, knowing that you can deal with things on your own accord, but also not being so constrained of how things are dealt with. So that's that's why I asked that, because I, I was curious kind of what works for you. And it's, you know, the more we talk with different people, like the more we learn different tools that we can try out because we're not all one for one, like yeah. we're all unique, right? And that's something that the podcast has helped to teach me is that, you know, everybody's unique, but nobody's special. Like we all have a unique journey that we go through ourselves, but we're on very parallel paths, you know, and, um, there's things that we can take that some people do that will work for us, but we don't know until we try. Right. Good point. Uh, one way that I put that out there is if you are the type of person who, um, likes just hot dogs with ketchup and mac and cheese. And like, that's all you ever have when you go out to eat. You're probably don't even know what your favorite food is because you've never tried it because you've never allowed yourself to try it. So be open to trying new things, you know, whether that be going to a new event, whether that be going to try a new food, going one for one there, right. Talking to yourself in the phone, on the phone, um, opening up to people, who are around you um, and just seeing how it feels when you talk with people and you let them into your deepest, darkest secrets. Um, you'll find a lot of people relate to you more than will hold that against you. Yeah, man. Well said. How can people get in touch with you and hear more of your podcasts and more of the discussions and the conversations you're having? Um, so if you look up untapped keg on all podcast platforms, you'll find, um, the podcast. If you go to www.untappedkeg.com, um, a lot of our information is there Untapped keg on all social media platforms. Um, my DMS are open. So if you're struggling, reach out, you know, I'll either try to find resources for you. I'll put you in touch with someone who could help you a little bit more than maybe I can, or I'll be the ears that you need and that shoulder to help you stand. Um, and then youtube.com slash untapped keg every Sunday morning, um, at 10 AM Eastern time, we record the podcast live. So be part, you could be part of the show. Um, come and chat, ask questions, and I will try to work them into the show. So Awesome. Man, I'll, I'll have to check that out one day, just live. And what's that experience like for you doing it live? It honestly, it isn't much different. So like there's times where I'll be trying to look at chat and somebody brings up a good point. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like trying to work that into um, that good point back into another question. And then mm -hmm. coming back to that question that you just saw, trying to remember that. That can be that can sometimes be a little tough, but for the most part, like our shows are 
just like you and I had right here. It's just, it's a conversation. I'm not there to ask questions to paint you in a bad light. I'm not there to ask questions to make you seem like you're, you know, deserve to be put up on a pedestal. Like we're all humans. We're all on the same level. Um, So don't put people on pedestals. And that's kind of how it's been. I've been lucky. I've been lucky with uh, the live podcast hasn't been too bad. So I like that. Well, one last question I've got for you is, are you still who you said you were from the question I asked you at the start? I am. Uh, I am trying to get better every day. So there might be things that I add to it. But for today, for right now, I am who I said I am. Awesome. Thank you for the time, RJ. Thanks for having me. This was this was amazing. You're very welcome.